Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan, joined uh, by the managing editor of Jackets Online and our recruiting guru, Russell Johnson. And uh, it's been a weird, um, I guess, at the point we're recording this, probably eight, nine hours, something like that. Um, and transparent for transparency's sake, I'll walk you through actually what happened uh, a little bit. Um, so for subscribers to site, um, there were following things. I was up in Blacksburg covering the Virginia tech, Georgia tech game and flew back this afternoon, uh, which was fun in the weather that was going on in both places. And, uh, was sitting in my office kind of chilling, waiting for my wife and, uh, two boys to get home from school and got a text from a buddy that was like, uh, Hey man, sorry to hear about Suttis. And I like was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I heard Sedis is gone. I was like, what are you talking about? And um, I texted Russell immediately. I was like, hey, man. And then that proceeded into half an hour digging, probably, we'd say, Russell. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about a half hour. <laughs> At the end of the half hour between us, I think we had probably eight or nine people <laughs> confirmed that, that, in fact, uh, uh, Patrick is leaving Georgia Tech and uh, going to North Carolina. It turns out, and you know, another upward career move. It's been a kind of interesting piece of all of this. Other than Tashard Choice, everyone that's left this offseason has gone into a what I would call a higher value position or uh, you know step up in their job, right? Like, so you have Karina went to Duke and then to Arkansas to basically she's basically like running the ship, right, at Arkansas. I understand yeah yeah in terms of the um like when, when people get on campus and visits and stuff like that yeah yeah so she's the director of on-campus recruiting there aaron joe got his shot to kind of be i think i think a similar role at uconn right or yeah, he's director he's the, of scouting or something like that maybe yeah i believe something like that uh, it's a much higher role than what he was doing at tech and aaron was sort of just uh, you know a scout guy and a guy that was helping with visits and stuff like that. He wasn't in, in the recruiting meetings, but now he has a higher profile that will lead to possibly other jobs for him. You have Suttis now leaving to basically go on a path to become eventually an AD um, at North Carolina. I imagine he's going to go probably, I would think uh, if he does, I don't, you know, I never looked to see if he has a master's or not, but typically you have to go through that. So maybe that's part of his deal at North Carolina too. Um and he's going to help with their football program, but also move up. Then you had the guy, you know, obviously there was the three staff changes where Jeff, you know, terminated three guys. But the other three people who've left, one still is not official, Marco Coleman going to Michigan State. But he goes from being a DN coach to D-line coach. And yeah. then, and then um, you had Chris Wiesahan leave to go to Temple for more responsibility, more money in a bigger role. Um, and really ultimately with him too, he wanted to go back. He, he really loved living in Philadelphia and I knew Chris pretty well. Great guy. I'm still in touch with him. And, you know, ultimately that was about him trying to find a place where he was happy. And that, that's part of the business too. And then you had um, to Shargo to, to USC, which no one can argue is a higher profile job in terms of just, what it pays and, and working for Lincoln Riley. And then he, and then Stan Dragon gets a temple job and choice goes to Texas. 
which was sort of a dream job for him. He wanted to be back in the state of Texas. Loves it there. Loves uh, living in Austin's great. And he really wanted to recruit Texas. And ultimately, too, Tashar doesn't want to be viewed as just a Georgia Tech guy. He needed to branch out his career because right now his experience was at North Texas and his alma mater, Georgia Tech. So for him to become a head coach, which is his ultimate goal, he needed to go coach somewhere else for a little bit. And Stan Drayden leaving is what triggered Chris Wiesahan to leave, which opened the door for Chris Winkie to get hired and be the quarterback's coach at Georgia Tech. So, you know, as the pieces go, you know, right now we're waiting to see what Georgia Tech does with the final on the field spot. Uh, but, I, I mean, I think it's worked out pretty well with the hires they've made thus far. Uh, you get, you know, Chip Long is an upgrade to me, at, at, you know, as a quarterback coach, considered a very good tight ends coach and an excellent recruiter. You get Chris Winkie, who's a guy who literally played the game, right? at all at the highest levels of the game in college and and in the NFL and is coached at both as well, which is, you know, something Georgia tech hasn't really had on the staff. Um, You know, someone that was like a full assistant in the NFL in a while, Um, you know, I think you would have to go back to uh, Al Groh probably when he was at DC to come up with somebody that had done that. And then um, I'm trying to think. um, Wow. And I'm trying to think if uh, Russell just texted me something funny while we were doing the podcast and it popped up on my watch. Uh, You guys probably will be reading about this tomorrow. It has nothing to do with Georgia tech, but it'll be funny for the message board. Anyways. um, uh, In terms of just, you know, what you're looking at and making staff changes and stuff. I think Jeff's done a pretty good job, you know, has hired Jason some more, Seymour to be the linebackers coach, a guy that knows their system pretty well. I was really impressed with Travaris Tillman um, from talking to, you know, one of the things in our job, we get to know some of the parents and players and stuff like that. And all the feedback we've heard kind of on the down low about Tillman has been really good from those guys. have been excited about him and what he brings to the table. And then, um, you know, you you have whatever this last bottle is. It'll be interesting if, if you know, Jeff Collins swings to the fences or if he brings in someone he knows already or how he kind of approaches filling that void. So that's sort of where they're at there. And, you know, people are up in arms about Sadis because Sadis did a great job of being kind of a character in a job that's usually pretty low profile, right? Like, how many other schools, Russell, do you know the guy who's in that position that's basically the GM or the you know guy who runs recruiting or whatever? Like how many can you do you even name the one at like UGA or I know you know the one at Auburn because you're friends with the guy, but um or yeah, I mean it's some yeah, of the places we, we know people, but you know, yeah. you know who who Billy Napier's director of recruiting is or GM guy? No, I don't. You know, I like, don't. I mean, goodness, Napier has been creating job titles for people down there. Didn't he have like, what was it like? Uh, what was the weird one that people were going nuts on Twitter with him? Um, I, I can't remember, but man, he made some, some it was, weird I ones. think it might have been like their creative guy. They had a weird name for their like video person. But yeah, it, you know, but that ultimately shows, you know, Sadis became sort of, especially now that, you know, Jeff Collins is chilled out and is on his social media sabbatical to call it since uh, early in the season it's a lengthy sabbatical kelly um he's he he's been uh you know Sedis has sort of been the 
Dowward voice because really you had Tashard and him were sort of the two guys that were really crazy active on Twitter outwardly. Uh, you know, Brett Key is pretty low key, he tweets about, you know, some of his former players and his daughters, you know, <laughs> cool stuff with his daughter that he does and stuff, but it's not the, you know, Suttis is the guy who got people hyped up about commits and all those things. And um, so I think that's maybe why this hits the core so hard for the JOL subs. But can you just kind of talk about, I guess, from a recruiting aspect, kind of what you feel like the impact is here and, and kind of your feelings about it? Well, I think you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with um, the, the JOL subs because you know, Suttis would send it, could send a tweet and it could say, the cloud, the, the sky is blue. And, and there would be people trying to break down and read between lines, trying to understand what his tweet meant and how it's going to benefit Georgia Tech athletics in the future. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, with, with, with power comes responsibility. And, um, you know, when, you're, when you send out those tweets and stuff like that and when people start to correlate recruiting success to your social media, um, it, it gets kind of, I wouldn't say it gets to be a, a lot, um, but you know, after seeing other people in the past do similar things, um, it, it can kind of burn you out after a little while. And, and I think you kind of saw that with um, towards the end of the 22 cycle with, with Suttis and especially with the transfer commitments, when you, you didn't see these um, huge Twitter, um, you know, the, the gifts that he would post or anything like that. Uh, there was not really um, like the the hype machine was not going in terms of that. Um, it was more so the the player's impact. I'm kind of speaking for itself. Um, but you know, you asked about the the impact of the recruiting aspect. Um, you know, I mean, Suttis was at the top in terms of, um, for, from my knowledge at least, uh, evaluation, um, identifying, um, deciding who to take, who not to take. Uh, those kind of decisions, he, he played a role in, in each of them. Um, so obviously his absence is um, going to change things a bit. And, you know, as, as we'll get to later on, possibly when we talk about the, the other personnel changes and everything, it feels like this is a, a, f- a fresh start kind of in a way for Georgia Tech, but it's also a fresh start with pressure, if that makes sense. Because, you know, Collins is under a lot of pressure. Um, the, the coaches who are signing on know that this is kind of like a, a trial run for the most part in terms of, you know, their coaching futures on the line, um, especially, you know, Chip Long with, with, with his contract and the deal he signed. Um, you know, the, everybody has a, a vision for what they're hoping this can become. Um, so it, it's going to be uh, fascinating to see you know, who they're able to get to replace Suttis in terms of if it's just one person, if they divide his responsibilities among multiple people um, at a similar you know, salary. It, it also kind of depends where the, where the money's at and how much they can make it work. And money is an issue. I mean, Georgia Tech's running uh, at a deficit um, like most programs are actually right now, just kind of recovering out of the tailspin from COVID and, and, there have been a lot of additional costs that even programs have had to shoulder from that. You've had down ticket sales um, from the, you know, the team struggling on the field the last couple of years. So all of those things kind of snowball on you. And yeah. So, you know, finances are a factor for 
for everyone and and you know georgia tech's not immune to that either but i think it is an important hire it'll be interesting to see you know everyone who's had that job um has you know it's always been an important kind of piece of the program whether it was you know that's how literally how jeff collins kind of remade his career um back in in you know the mid to late 2000s you know working for chan Gailey and then nick saban and then was able he was able to re-jumpstart his coaching career um so it reminds me of one of the funniest posts i saw on our message board which is hilarious it was slightly inappropriate but it was funny which was a guy saying that he wanted jeff to replace Setus and then wanted a new coach which <laughs> credit credit where credit's due that was funny um uh inappropriate but funny um yeah so it is a key hire you know they i think they're still down a um assistant director of operations because the guy who replaced kevin Cohn left to go work for the dancing brian kelly at lsu by the way if tech fans are upset about how national signing day went lsu went two for six right on their guys that they were trying to get on national their big name guys are trying to get yeah um, they uh gosh, they did not close well. That was uh that was not what LSU fans were expecting. I have a uh, a friend up here who's a an LSU fan and he went to bed thinking he had Toronto Citizens, Jacoby Matthews, Danny Lewis, at least. And he woke up this morning and had none of them. I mean, so. I think they thought they'd get at least four, right? Like that was sort of their nightmare scenario, and they got two. Uh, yeah. cause they got what the Perkins kid and, um, yeah, that was the big one. That was the one they put all their chips in. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll walk into Baton Rouge with a chip. A chips nice chips is an interesting deal. way of putting it. Yeah. Chips is a fascinating, uh, uh, choice of words there, uh, Russell, but yeah, it was, a, it was a sort of a uneventful second signing period. I think what's going to happen if I were to guess, um, is the signing period is going to get moved back to February again. Um, and maybe they have a December signing people. Here's what they should probably do is have a December signing period for kids who are enrolling early um, and limit it to that and JUCOs and then have the second main signing period in February, because right now you're basically screwing every single coach. I mean, look at what Jeff Collins, we could talk about that. Like, Jeff had to scramble with basically him and Tashar Choice and one other guy on the road for like a couple of days. And, and Jeff really was a solo act for about 10 days as he was trying to piece together a staff of the only open period before the first signing period when he got hired. Um, I think he got hired the middle. I think he was officially hired in the first full week of December, depending on the calendar. I forget how the calendar fell that year, but he didn't have a staff and you have to make all of these decisions on who you want to keep. You, you can't, and you're, you're screwing kids over if you cut them that late. So it's really tough to, to make those decisions um, and puts you in a really bad spot as a coach. And I mean, look at how much, look at Jim Harbaugh took, took the Minnesota job theoretically and then walked it back. Like how crazy yeah. was that? Like the, he was going to the NFL and then he wasn't, you know, and those kids are probably like, shitting themselves that we're signing there like what is going to happen you know like yeah um it was the uh seventh and eighth so it was like friday he was announced yeah so 
they had he had basically two weeks where he was on the road. I think they hired Tashard first. And I think Tashard came right like the week before. I think he came that second week and was maybe on the road a couple of days before they started. And, and that was that was it. And then you know, they went into that first signing period and they're trying to make decisions on 20 something kids. Like, and then when they got out of that, you then had to pick through the scraps of what was left and that was pre transfer portal. So now it's a little different because there are kids still left. Like we even know some pretty talented kids. There was a kid that um, we were tracking that ended up going to Campbell, like of all places. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, Who's like a four star player. Like, I don't know if he didn't qualify. I don't know what happened with that, but he went to Campbell of all places. Um, he was going to go to a P five school and I think was committed to one and, or if yeah, he committed to Arkansas. Yeah. And ended up at the Campbell camels, um, Campbell camels. Like that's, that's a pretty far cry and no offense you know, um, I've been through that area. It's, it's something. But uh, that's a pretty it's far cry. It's a far cry from from Arkansas. We're getting that Walmart money. Um, just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's just something's got to give here because it's it's really weird. You got a lot of I know a lot of high school kids that are like looking at walking on and not even because of NIL money. They're just sort of at the point where um, they don't want to go play down a level and they'd rather walk on and, and be on special teams and try to earn a scholarship than then and use in-state tuition or use hope scholarship in the case of kids in Georgia, instead of just going to, you know, go play at, you know, Savannah state. I think they don't have football anymore, so I can use them. Um, can you explain the, uh, the hope scholarship for those who may not fully grasp it like myself? <laughs> so our governor in the state of Georgia back in the, I guess it was the early nineties. Zell Miller was a, a religious man and he did not believe in, he thought the lottery was a form of gambling. So the only way he would sign off on Georgia having a lottery was if they created a fund where they took some of the money and paid scholarships for uh, kids to go to school, go to college. So if you had a B plus, and when I was there, it was a B average, um, and in my case, it, it literally covered my entire tuition at the University of Georgia for um, as long as you maintain that B average in school. So um, I, I unfortunately did not. And um, probably some of my rancor towards the University of Georgia is the money I still owe them uh, in student loans. But uh, yeah, so um, if, you, if you got it, basically cover your tuition, right? And then there was, I think, maybe a little bit of book money in it too. I don't know if it's gone up or down. I haven't really tracked it that much since I left school, which was, you know, 15, 17 years ago. Um, so it's possible with the way tuition's gone up and stuff, it doesn't cover it the same way. But yeah, it was basically an opportunity for, for kids to go to school for free, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia State, Kennesaw State, wherever you were going in state. And then I think they even, when I was looking at it, I believe maybe Clemson and Auburn were somehow factored into it too. Like they gave you some money towards that uh, and a few of like boarding schools. And then you got this, you know, scholarship and it did, it was not needs-based. So um, you know, when I went to school, 
it, you know, it was pretty early on and all that. So these parents would buy all these kids like really expensive cars because they had saved all this money for college and weren't having to pay it anymore. So baby girl will get a brand new Toyota 4Runner or um, a little Acura Integra or whatever it was that was it was the hot thing. I remember dating all these different girls in, in college that would have like really nice cars. And I would be like, yeah, when my dad didn't have to pay for school, he got me this car. So, um, that, that's hope scholarship. And I'm sure I'm not explaining it well and I'll get blown up on the board or something, but Kelly, you idiot. This is, but this is my recollection of it. I mean, it's, I, you know, we're talking like 20 years ago when I was dealing with it. So uh, over 20 I mean, it's years. A, it's a fascinating concept. Honestly, I never really understood it, but, um, I mean, that's, that's crazy to think that, you know, those people play the lottery and when trying to win the mega millions are actually helping pay for a little bit of somebody's tuition and it was the mega millions that was the lotto because they didn't have the powerball until later on here um so it was the mega millions and i think even like the scratchers and all the other crappy games you can play they all go into this big pot and um it services uh part of it services this uh hope scholarship and it's still around and it's you know the I remember talking to, you know, you know, they were most excited people like Danny Hall and, and the old Georgia baseball coach, David Perno. And like, because it was a godsend to, if you were running an Olympic sport where you not Olympic sport, if you're running baseball, where you didn't have full scholarships, right. In baseball, if you don't know, they give, they have like nine scholarships or something to split amongst the entire team. So people get like fractions of a scholarship. So they don't get a full free ride. Um, the, for the most part, unless you're just like the, you know, maybe Kevin Parada has a full, gets a full scholarship to Georgia tech, but, um, I'm not sure anyone else would. So yeah, they split all that up. So th- that was great for those guys. Cause they were actually doing okay. Then instead of it being such a hustle for like the baseball team to, for those kids to play and having to borrow money and, and all that stuff, or, you know, have their parents pay for it. They were able to, to use that. And then, it allowed, I remember talking to David Perno about this because this was a school I was covering at the time and him being able to use more money on scholarships for out-of-state kids for baseball. Um, and the ones who were on hope taking less of the pie to allow him to, to have more flexibility in bringing kids from out-of-state. And I'm sure Danny did the same thing uh, and probably still does. Uh, so there's something you could talk about the next time you talk to one of your baseball sources, you can ask them if that's still a thing or not. I would be curious to find out. I know you are on top of the baseball world these days. I gave that up for those wondering, I did cover Georgia tech baseball when I started covering Georgia tech. Um, I think the first two seasons and then Logan, my oldest, when he was born, um, that was sort of it for me because I couldn't be away from the house for, men's basketball, spring football, and then baseball. I was out of the house like six nights of the week and not seeing my kid grow up. And that was not going to, that wasn't going to work. So I had to pick it and choose. And it was at the time the baseball team started to uh, have some struggles for a few years. So it was a good time to kind of bow out of that and, and refocus more of my energy. And I didn't have a Russell at the time either to, to cover recruiting and I was probably in middle school. Yeah. You're like, you know, high school, (laughs) you know, like I was going to say a dirty joke. I'm not going to, but 
you were you were yeah like a little like kid watching cartoons or something and i'm out there sitting next to rod in the, the press box watching you know a midweek starter pitch a five-hour game oh god bless you they're, they're using 12 different pitchers and it's freaking midnight on like a wednesday in, in march and you know i'll never forget one time i got locked uh this actually happened during one of the regionals but i didn't think about this but as i was leaving the stadium and i walked out couldn't get back in i realized i had to go to the bathroom and having to like find a bottle in my car and go like because everything was locked up on campus because it was like one in the morning and oh my gosh you like it was like you know what do you do i'm in a, inside a parking deck like there's not even like a bush or anything so that's the uh that's just a small sampling size of baseball is is a grind to cover at any level. Um, I have friends that are minor league announcers and uh, many of them bowed out of that pretty quickly or found other gigs. Cause it's a lot, man. It's the reason why, like, if you, if you ever noticed, even with like Dave O'Brien uh, covered the Braves for years, he would get like vacation in the middle of the season and they'd have someone go cover the team for two weeks on a road trip. Yeah. Yeah um as because, a brace fan i know that all too well yeah so like it would be you know like the dudes burned out man you spend how many you know you're spending three nights a week in milwaukee and um you know uh houston or whatever yeah that you know that's a long week man you get because they do have you know back-to-back road trips you could be out for seven days straight yeah. um and it's not like the nba where they fly out and fly back somewhere mm-hmm. yeah exactly well, that was a really strange tangent we've gone on and it happens especially you know with, with baseball seasons you know just days away baseball season's closer than spring football at this point when's the first I game won't. for tech uh, i'm putting you on the spot i didn't really i wasn't trying to but it is february 18th so two weeks from t- Two weeks from the day this posts on the 18th, because this will post on Friday at the fourth. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll touch on baseball a little bit um, next week. I did a abbreviated live Q and A today on the the message board, and then I'm thinking the Thursday night before opening day, I'll do a um, my, my live Q and A, but I'll do it, and it'll all, like be I'm hoping mostly you know baseball questions, asking about over unders know predictions all that kind of stuff um, i think it should be good um, earlier today uh, the acc coaches preseason poll came out and i think the coastal was very jumbled uh, but georgia tech is um, projected to win the division again florida state's projected to win the conference um, it's going to be a battle between those two all year in my opinion It'd be fascinating when they they meet in early april in atlanta for a weekend series yeah, I think it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with um, with the baseball team. Is they're pretty loaded up, so hopefully that'll be a fun ride. I think that um, you, you've been posturing that they have the best potential of the three big sports at Georgia Tech. Um, we'll set women's about on the men's side. We'll set women's basketball aside for the moment, and uh, the the men have opportunity to to 
the men's baseball team, which there's not women's baseball, the baseball. I'm a little bit tired. I've been traveling. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. I, I had a yeah. very long trip to Blacksburg. It was not a lot of fun um, in any way, shape or form. And my uh, humorously, my rental car that I had was from Fulton County somehow. And it smelled like someone had been smuggling weed in it. And it was typical just, Fulton I, County. I could not get over. Like I thought, I didn't say anything when I rented the car. I was like, "Oh, maybe the guy who works at the rental car place was vaping or something." And I was like, "I'll just roll the windows down and go about my business." And then the it still stunk like the high heaven of marijuana. And the and how I defeated it, you'll enjoy this, Russell. Is before I went to. Um, Virginia Tech to cover the game, I had to get something to eat real quick. So I just ran to Zaxby's and I ate Zaxby's. I left a couple fries in the box and left that in the car overnight and that killed the smell. <laughs> so the Zaxby's overpowered the, the smell of the weed in the car. There's a Zaxby's in Blacksburg? Yep. What? There's not a lot. In, oh, well, it was in Roanoke. Sorry. Uh, oh, no, no. That was in Blacksburg. The Zaxby's in Blacksburg. In a college town, you have all that stuff. They had Moe's, they have McAllister's Deli, they have, you know, Jim. I'm sure they have a Jimmy John's because everywhere else. There's, there's no Zaxby's in Ohio. Goodness, I was getting so mad. I get emails from them with promotions. There's not a Zaxby's within six hours of here. Oh, that's funny. Um, well, it's like, remember, the my favorite story about that is when the NCAA tournament, I mean, when the ACC tournament was in Brooklyn, that's sponsored by Bojangles the chicken <laughs> restaurant the nearest Bojangles was in Reading, Pennsylvania, which was like six and a half hour car ride from my God. Uh, um, yeah. From, from Brooklyn. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I was like, I'll be interesting to see who sponsors it this year. Uh, if it's Bojangles, this is one of the sponsors because they gave away like gift cards to Bojangles to the crowd. I remember sitting watching Georgia tech play and they are giving this out and like, you know, like Ken and I are looking at each other, like, what the hell are these? What the hell are they doing? So there's no Bojangles here. And I like, we looked it up because it was, it was so ridiculous. And I remember West Arm coming over here, it was just cracking up, man, that they were giving out Bojangles. He thought it was the funniest thing because he knew they weren't, there wasn't one around. At least Chick fil A, they actually have now in that area. And you could, they have even quite a few in the, the, you know, in the area now. Um, they're finally starting to get out of the malls. Uh, but, by the way, here's some free advice for, for the weary traveler. If you are north of the Mason-Dixon line, do not go to a Chick-fil-A. It is not good. They are not good when you get out of the south for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but the quality goes like downhill the further away you get from Atlanta. I'll, uh, I'll have to. I disagree with me because you're in Ohio and you probably eat. You're probably used. To, I bet you the Chick Fil A be hitting a lot harder in Atlanta. Maybe we'll go when you come down here for uh, Rivals Camp later on in the spring, and I'll take you yeah. Chick Fil A, and you'll tell me that it hits a lot harder than the one you're used to. That's a little better. It might. I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section One Hundred Three, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official tech gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best uh, best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like 
the stuff that coaches wear. It's really cool. You get the AT, ATL logo that they have. Um, all the stuff super comfortable, super cool. And they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and, and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media and he just does an amazing job. Jackets Online uh, subscribers can get a discount of 10% off their first order by using the code Jackets Online, all caps. And check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. Switch gears and... Let's go into the signing day, uh, sort of anticlimactic, um, you know, Juju and, and I guess Bobby still hasn't signed, right? Um, he signed, he hasn't announced. I was, I was trying really hard to get the board to, you know, keep their, their, their act together. And that's, that's spelled A-C-T and, um, you know, just the, the timing of, of everything um, in terms of Lewis already uh, didn't, get announced right at around the time of his signing, which had people in a bit of a frenzy. Um, so when Namuni never really officially got announced, I think that kind of stirred up a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uncertainty. Sure. And I think George Tech fans are a little bit tired of, of dealing with uncertainty. Um, so they, they did not keep their act together. Again, that's spelled ACT. And um, they're just going to have to wait for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, it'll be, I imagine that will be uh, a relatively quick deal once uh, everything's in place and, and uh, everything's been graded out and figured out and submitted. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, getting Julian Lewis back, and you, know, you know, he goes by Juju. Um, back in the class after his big senior season, you know, being around Jalen Marshall, I know Jalen wanted him there bad. I know uh, wide receiver coach Kerry Dixon, uh, they, from what I've gathered from, you know, talking to sources, especially, um, you know, Miami Western's um, high school coach, Kerry uh, was very high on him and wanted to had some questions going into his senior season. And I mean, Julian answered those questions. He, he showed the the burst, he showed the speed, he showed, being able to catch the ball with his hands a lot more. He showed improvement in route running. I mean, everything you wanted to do, you wanted a receiver to do, and he that he may have done as a junior, but not at the level he did as a senior. I mean, he improved on, on, on every facet of his game. Uh, but not only did he improve on the field, but he also matured quite a bit off the field, and um, especially in the classroom. Well, the thing that people got to remember too, and, and this stuck out when we talked to him after his visit, um, he had never been up here. Like he had committed sight unseen, uh, you know, just, and his first visit to Georgia tech was his official visit. And that was because of the way kind of the chips fell and, and he had been out of the class. Um, for whatever reason, you know, because it was almost a year to the day when he 
sign. Yeah, it was like what 366 or 367 days. Yeah, it was like like the you know the third and the fifth of something like that. It was some really like tight on almost on a year. I remember looking at it when I went to flip them and thinking, wow, that's crazy. That was like exactly a year apart. Um, And we, you know, we, we were guilty of it too. Like it was just off our radar. Like I, I made a decision to go see, this was hilarious. The two big two. So we went to see, we did three major trips to see kids. We had more planned, but some with the way the season was going and stuff, we kind of, clamp back a little bit on it but you went to see nate and in dc and then i went to see and i had a decision to make russell wanted me to go see greg delaney uh all the way over in fort myers i was in miami covering the the, the georgia tech miami game i was like there's no way in hell i'm driving across the swamp in the middle of the night to come back for a noon game in miami so that was out so then he was like well you could go see Jalen marshall or you could go see alton tarber and so we went to see Alton Tarber instead. And, yep. uh, and, you know, Deerfield, you know, it was a terrible game. Like it was a blowout. Um, yep. But it was just funny. Cause that, you know, like we went to see the only kid who signed with Georgia tech that we went to see and watch really extensively in person was Zach Pyron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. Cause you're right. Cause Nate didn't sign. Well, here, let me, Signing days passed now. Okay. Nate got dropped. Um, Kelman, <laughs> Kelman didn't qualify um, for Georgia Tech standards. I don't know if it was uh, if it was test score related or what it was. Alton Tarber did not make the uh, cut either. Alton Tarber did not make the cut with the um, the academics requirements in the state of Georgia, and and then you know, like you said, Zach and Greg Delaney's know, the one you're that. Yeah. That's right. And, and Greg was committed to Popovich and the moment Popovich wasn't there when he showed up for his official visit and, you know, they, he steps on the scale. I'm, I'm guessing this is, this is like, you know, obviously we're Kelly and I are on video, but um, the, you guys are hearing this in audio version, but it was, uh, there was a lot of puzzled looks on faces trying to figure out what was going on. <sighs> and then the and then um, also he, he may have also had an interesting look about him for his visit as well that was similar to another kid that didn't 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 fit georgia tech either um yes yeah i was uh i was glad to see him end up at uh, syracuse i'm i'm curious to see what ends up happening there um the, the crazy thing is that syracuse got the um georgia tech's number was a number two or number three linebacker target to sign him and Makai Mason. Um, oh, I remember but, him, yeah. But, you know, Greg is uh, – that was interesting. And then, you know, we haven't even talked about Bonner and the uh, the whole Nebraska situation. <laughs> so it, it seems like they sort of just swooped in there. and Yeah, well, I think that's exactly what happened. And, you know, they, they took LSU's receiver coach, and I think he's quickly become their uh, best recruiter and – has really done a great job in terms of trying to build his room, but also trying to, you know, make a name for himself in the process. So I'm guessing he or somebody on Nebraska's recruiting staff, you know, they're going through the the commitment lists and top receiver rankings on rivals, whatever it is they do. And they, they see four-star receiver 
you know, J, J period Bonner. And they're like, it says verbal. And they're like, huh? So, you know, they probably put on the tape and no, I don't know if they did any background on him or, or what. Invited him on an OV, a secret OV, mind you. Nebraska's got so many fan sites and a rival site, a 247 site, probably newspaper too. And nobody knew about he, that he was there, which is just mind-blowing to me. So that's funny. Real quick, I'll tell a quick anecdote about Nebraska. And So what's funny is that might not have flown as well back in the day. What they apparently used to do in that market, and the guy who owns the, the, our Nebraska site's a buddy of mine, and I used to hear the story all the time because he was marveling at the size of the Atlanta airport because apparently what they did for a long time is they would just go stake out the airport and wait for these kids to show up. And before like security was the way it is now, they would just hang out at the terminal and wait for these kids to show up. And they're in the middle of Nebraska. There's not a lot of, you know, giant human beings that are look like football players walking through the gates. You know, most of the people just look like, you know, probably the average Nebraska person and not, you know, a guy who looks like he's from the ATL, you know, like yeah. probably a little swagger to him and, and like, you know, some nice clothes, like some cooler hip clothes and stuff like that. So they were probably stick out like a sore thumb, but that's funny that, that that went down like that. Cause we, you and I haven't even talked about this off a lot. We, uh, we were so busy in the weeds this past week that you and I haven't even had this discussion. So I'm, I'm learning this as you guys are. Yeah. So, so what happens is, is so, so Bonner goes there over the weekend and nobody knows about it. Nothing's posted, nothing anywhere. I think it was two Monday rolls around and um, I had Bonner's tweet notifications on because I was expecting him to decommit after Georgia Tech didn't send him signing papers. Um, And the decommitment never came. But a retweet came and it was it had a um, I think it was like his mom, his sister or somebody. And I clicked on the profile and I'm like. Like, let me look at this header because, you know, I'm on my phone. Uh, full disclosure, I'm driving. And oh, boy. Um, so I, I, I get to a red light and I click on her profile and I look at the header and I'm like, wait, that's Bonner in a Nebraska jersey. <laughs> Oh and, and I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a second. So I look and, it, and there's the new receivers coach in the picture too. And I'm like, there it is. The Holy grail of reporting. He's, he was at Nebraska this past weekend. So then, um, you know, I, I ping the Nebraska site and he runs a story and then, you know, we go from there. Um, but just, just seeing how, how that played out, I think, Nebraska fans are, are are pretty excited about it, and but to be fair, I think Georgia Tech fans are pretty excited about Lewis too. So I think it was kind of a a win win situation. I'm sure Georgia Tech lost a, a four star in their class, and I believe with Bonner would have had their um, highest rated class in terms of average star rating ever. Um, but the way that things went in terms of you know only having 14 signees currently, it'd be 15 shortly. Um, just having that amount and then losing the four star late really hurt them in like the, the overall team rankings. And, you know, I think this is something we could kind of touch on is I'm really curious to know what the future of, you know, team rankings are. It's so hard, man, because like, yeah, 
how do you evaluate like Amari Harvey's value is so different than it was, you know, 13 months ago, right? Like he was, yeah. you know, I mean, he was a four-star, wasn't he? Um, yes. So, you know, as a transfer portal target after one year on campus, you know, is he, is he still a 5.8 or is he like a 5.5? Like, and this is where I get into, I have a lot of issues with, with what some other companies are doing in terms of how they're trying to, to rush into evaluating that piece of it, because I think it's really complicated. And even, you know, talking to even people like Sudas, like, you know, it's a hell of a thing trying to evaluate these kids who haven't played somewhere. It's one thing where it's really obvious and you're taking, you know, um, Kyrick McGowan, right. Who has, you know, four years of tape at Northwestern and, and you have game film of him. So you know what you're getting into, right. It is a different thing when you're taking, you know, two, two kids who didn't play, like there's a huge difference between the value of like Hassan Hall is more, in some ways closer to a four-star, even though he was a, I think a 5.5, three-star out of high school, given what he's done at the college level, then say taking, um, you know, when they took uh, Antonius Clayton, right. Like who had barely played at, at um, Florida. So to me, I think that's where it gets really interesting. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you evaluate kids who don't play. Um, I don't know how, I mean, you know, recruiting is hard enough as it is. Like, I just don't know how you do that, but it, I feel like it has to be factored in somehow because, you know, you look at the way the classes are going and, you know, other than Clemson, who's really signing a full class right now or teams that lost a bunch of people to the portal, uh, you know, how many, this is, I bet if you went and looked, this is the lowest amount of um, kids signed by schools uh you know like for each school like if you went and totaled up just the number of kids signed in our because i think we only list 100 schools if you tallied all of the totals up it would be the lowest it's ever been in the history of rivals like in terms of guys signed uh in the 20 years 22 years the company's been around so um yeah it's gotta get figured out a little bit because you know but it's hard. Like, how do you evaluate Paul Tio or, or, um, Pierce quick or, um, look at that. You didn't call him Riley. I had to, did you notice I looked for a second and didn't say his name? I had to think about it and I got to really think about it if we have to interview him, not to do that. I have to like write it on my hand or something. Um, right. A sticky note, but, um, yeah. How do you evaluate those guys? Right. Like they, they, you know, Tio played a little bit at Clemson, um, and and Pierce didn't play a ton at Alabama. But you know, and then it's also like, what does the school need too? Like, you know, how big of a hole are you filling? Like Hassan Hall is filling some pretty big shoes as a kick return guy, and and possibly got to fill the sort of X factor snaps that Jameer Gibbs took, right? So, and buying time for Jamie Felix to to grow into that role. So like, what is that, you know, to, in some ways, T.O. and Quick and Hassan Hall have more value than the DBs they took via the portal, right? So in terms of what Georgia Tech needs in the immediate future, but those two DBs could end up being really good players down the line. So, you know, and it's tough because like, 
you know, Georgia, you know, people are really down on the class. I had some snarky text messages from some buddies in the coaching profession. Like, what's going on with your boy, Jeff Collins? And why is this class so low? And, you know, just kind of explaining it. And, um, and it's funny because if they had made the decision, just sign two DBEs, that probably puts them, you know, in the top 30, if they signed two like decent quality DBs that were on the market, because there were some that they could yeah. have gone and signed, um, especially if you were just taking kids to take them. Um, and if, if Jeff truly didn't have faith in himself and thought he was going to get fired, I think that's what they would have done to try to prop up the recruiting class. But to me, taking transfers instead makes me think that, you know, they're playing the long game still, like they're trying to build a program. And so you have to give them some credit there too. I think earlier on, they may have just gone and taken the the two high school kids. I mean, they have, there's two guys on the team right now who I'm like shocked or are on scholarship at Georgia tech, you know, that were probably guys who helped their recruiting rank a little bit when they needed a little push at the end. Um, and, and they didn't do that this time. So credit to them for that. Like they didn't go sign like a couple of mediocre offensive linemen, um, you know, they took one guy who's a little bit of a project, but he's a legacy project. And that's, I, I look at that a little differently and he's a big dude too. Like, it's not like it's a small human. So, um, very big dude. Yeah. I mean, you can't teach size, right? Like that's one of the old co- coaching adages. Um, yeah. So the way I look at it, you know, I think that's good. I think that, um, it seems like there's been some maturation, in terms of, you know, Jeff Collins and what they're doing, you know, the question is, is it too little too late? And ultimately the proof will be in the pudding. Right. And I was going to write something like this before. I was literally working on it today, Russell, ahead of um, finding out about the set of stuff I had been working on in the airport, but I was writing about the schedule and I, people assume want my opinion about it. And um, I was going to write that, you know, really they were, two plays a game away from having a totally different season and even competing in the coastal, uh, you know, really the only ACC game where they got their butt kicked was the pit game. Um, they were in every other game. The Virginia game got away from them a little bit uh, and they were able to storm back at the end of that and make it a game. But, you know, they were in game and like, that's a huge jump up. Now the problem is that bar was lowered so much by what happened in year one and year two that, it's colored by this whole, you know, one in three games in three years stuff. But the reality is there was progress, right? Now you have to make the next leap up and can they do it? And it reminds me a lot of sort of where Josh Pastner was a year ago, right? Like he had turned the corner. Um, it, he had turned the corner the year before, but they weren't eligible to go to the tournament and then COVID struck and everything shut down. Right. And then they come back, they have a really crappy start to the season, and then they turn it on and they win the ACC championship and get into the tournament and then get screwed because they got both a shit matchup and a um, basically playing a road game. And then you have Moses go get put in COVID protocol, um, their best player, basically, or second best player, and play a team that that – was really fundamentally sound in the first round, basically in a road game with that sister, whatever her name was at the game. Yeah. With the quality big man. Yeah. And it was exactly what they couldn't handle without Moses. So, 
can Jeff Collins repeat something like that? Can he be, you know, coach himself out of this box? Yeah. I, I think it's totally possible. As I said on the board, top, you know, 50 offense, top 75 defense. I think you win six to eight games, depending on how bad the league is. The problem is the front end of the schedule, you got to get out of that somehow, two and two. If you can somehow, you upset Clemson or Ole Miss or UCF on the road. You win one of those games, and I think you're in a good spot. You lose all three of those games, and people are going to be calling for Jeff's head, and there's going to be like 15,000 people in the stands. And that's that's what they got to avoid, too. So, got to come out strong with Clemson. I, hopefully, people will show up out of curiosity's sake. It won't be 80, you know, won't be 80% Clemson fans, which is my great fear for that game. Um, it'll be like the UGA game only in Mercedes Benz Stadium. But um, I think there's, I think there's reasons to have some uh, guarded optimism is how I would term it. Um, and some people like said Griffin are, are fully optimistic. Uh, I won't go that far. I'm not in the John Freeman um, said <laughs> technique. You're shouting out all the, yeah, I'm not in, the, in not, the I'm not in their optimism level, but um, I am more optimistic than I was. Uh, before Chip Long got there, I, I really like Chip Long and Chris Winkie and and Mike Daniels. I've been really impressed with too, and I like the offensive hires. I like the defensive hires as well. I just, you know, there's just a lot of questions, man. You and it's getting amplified this week watching you know Wanye and and Tariq Carpenter light it up in their uh, postseason All Star games. Um, it just makes you wonder, like you know, what, what was going on there and why weren't they able to turn that in on the field. But it's a story for another day. Um, any kind of final thoughts, things you're going to be watching for uh, this coming week, Russell? Um, this coming week, I think, uh, you know, you could see, uh, you know, we mentioned Karina. I think her, new, her replacement could be, could be named an official and start working for um, Georgia Tech in the next seven days, maybe, maybe less than that. Obviously, she won't really be doing – he slash she w- wouldn't be doing um, very much right now in terms of visits through to the dead period. Um, When's the dead period over for uh, – isn't it like the 26th or something like that? I think it's in March. Was it not till March? Give me one second. I just remember thinking it was funny that Georgia Tech spring football, I think, starts on something like the 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 last week of February, and it would still be dead for the first week of their spring practice for at least three yeah. three practices. Yeah, it uh, it goes live March first. Uh, the one well, caveat to that is if Georgia Tech has open practices, they can have recruits in. They just can't host them, so they can go yes. sit stands and stuff like they did last year. Um, yeah. It goes quiet March first. Let me let me rephrase that. It doesn't go evaluation period until April fifteenth. And that was one of the things why um, the spring is so early too, with the way that spring break fell, which is the the like the eighteenth or something like that. If they had started that late, they wouldn't have been able to get their. If they had started after spring break, they wouldn't have got their spring game in before the evaluation period. And I'm sure. 
every coach I've talked to across the country wants to really get out this spring and, and pound the pavement. It's one of their favorite times to go and watch kids. Cause it, it's a totally different vibe when you go watch spring practice or spring scrimmage, like how much toned down the coach, like, like Russell can attest to this when you go to a practice in the fall, um, even the summer workouts, coaches are amped up, man. It's about to be the season. You know, everyone's kind of on edge a little bit. We go to spring ball, people are having fun and they're teaching. And it's a different vibe and energy when you go to the practices and you get to see a lot more, I think. And, and people are turned loose a little bit more too. They're not as guarded. Um, so I think coaches really enjoy the spring evaluation period a little bit more than trying to cram in, going to see kids during the season and, and or in, you know, and, and then in that December, you know, after they're done playing, basically seeing them in December, or January. So it's sort of their one really good time to see kids and jamboree season rivals camp season. And we're going to be out at stuff and trying to bring you the latest and greatest on Georgia tech recruiting as we uh, cover the next 2023 class. Holy smokes, dude. Yeah, I know. Right. I still have to catch myself. I was calling some stuff 2021 the other day, still with the 22 class. And I'm like, man, it's about to flip again. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, we'll wrap things up. Um, You know, Georgia Tech plays Clemson on Saturday in uh, McCamish Pavilion. And then they'll go on the road to play Miami next week in a rematch um, of a was a pretty interesting game, but one that didn't go in the Jackets' favor. Next week's a tough uh, two-game skid on the uh, set on the road with Miami and, and Virginia. Uh, Miami on Wednesday, and then up to Whoville on uh, on the twelfth. So look forward to that, and then um, you know, getting baseball cranked up here, and then uh, spring football is right around the corner, man. Uh, and then we'll have my favorite thing, which is where men's basketball overlaps with spring football and on the 23rd there is a 9 p.m basketball game against virginia tech and probably like 8 a.m practice at georgia tech the next morning oh so my god walk out the door at midnight drive the 35 minutes back to my house and then turn around and get up like five hours later and drive to georgia tech so but you know we love it it's uh, a small price to pay for the awesomeness of getting to cover college sports for a living. So for Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Cleveland. This has been the Jackets Online Podcast, and we went way longer than I anticipated. Thanks for listening.